0: She'd get specimens that would be the size of a coffee table of reishi. And they would give it to the emperor because that would give them, you know, because it conveys long life on the emperor, which of course everybody wants the emperor to live forever, and that also benefits them.
1: Welcome to Dog Cancer Answers, where we help you help your dog with cancer.
2: Hello, friend. Today on Dog Cancer Answers, we have part two of our conversation on medicinal mushrooms with Dr. Robert Silver. Dr. Silver is a longtime veterinarian and also the chief veterinary officer for the company Real Mushrooms. I recommend starting with last week's episode if you haven't already listened because it gives a great foundation of what medicinal mushrooms are and how they work in the body. That will prepare you for this episode, which dives into some more specific topics like dosing and the unique benefits that each mushroom has to offer. One thing's for sure. Mushrooms are worth looking at to add to your dog's cancer treatment plan. Take it away, Dr. Silver.
0: Really, you can't go wrong, really, with a mushroom. I think the important thing is to try to take a sufficient amount of it. And that's the other issue is how do you dose the
2: stinkers? Yeah, I definitely want to get, I know that our listeners are going to want to hear not only which mushrooms to choose, but how much of a dose to give their dogs with cancer?
0: I've developed an algorithm that I think works. Okay. Okay. Yes. Because otherwise we need to get, we need to have a million phase one studies, (laughs) you know, for each mushroom in each species for each disease in order to know, because you probably treat one disease differently than another. Sure. And, you know, a, a species that has a high metabolic rate might take a higher dosage than a species that has a lower metabolic rate. So what I decided the way I came to about it was that the one thing that all mushrooms have in common are the beta-glucans. Okay. So let's dose based on the beta-glucan content because a company like Real Mushrooms and, and other reputable companies will give you an actual percentage of beta-glucans of that extract, and in Real Mushrooms' case – they keep that percentage standardized from one batch to the next. So for veterinarians or for pet parents who want to make sure they're giving the same dose each time, so they can get this a better effect, it's ideal. Yeah. It's truly you know a very standardized medicine that way. So there's also been published. Um, Several dosing tiers for beta glucans. For instance, there's a wellness dosage, which is a low, a low end, like two and a half makes per kg per day beta glucans. You know, there's kind of a, you know, what you would use for most things. You know, maybe you want to keep yourself protected because there's upper respiratory disease going on, not bad upper respiratory disease like COVID, but you know, standard wintertime type of stuff. So you'd maybe use a moderate dosage, maybe five to ten makes per kick you know, and it's kind of a sliding scale. And then you want to get to really bad stuff like cancer, right. you know, although I would put autoimmune disease in that, but with autoimmune disease, you probably don't want to use too high a dose, which I'd go with the moderate level for that, just because you don't want to overstimulate the immune system. And we're not entirely certain. It seems like autoimmune disease is not stimulated by immune modulating components, but you want to be careful. So with cancer, that's where we would use the twenty to thirty mg per kg. And you know, when I go back and look at studies of mushrooms for cancer, and if I'm able to tease out the beta glucan content, the average weight of the experimental participants, then it comes out. It pretty much sorts out that way.
2: So that dose of twenty to thirty milligrams per kilogram per day is that a beta glucan specifically? Yes. All of the other things in every mushroom are wonderful, but we're focusing on dosing the beta-glucans because that's consistently useful metric to look at.
0: I'm making an assumption Mm -hmm. when I do that, when I make that algorithm. And the assumption is that the beta-glucans in a mushroom are at a fairly fixed ratio to the other actives that are in that mushroom. Okay. So I figure if I dose it by the beta-glucans which is a human construct, um, you know. I should be getting good enough levels of the other stuff in it for that severity of problem, whether it's mild, moderate, or severe that I'm, I'm addressing.
2: Do you suggest splitting that dose up over the course of a day, giving it all at once, with food, without food? It
0: depends on your pet, okay. you know. I mean, some pets are overwhelmed with some of the programs that we're giving them <laughs> to help them treat their disease. Right. There's a lot of models they're going on with. I know. I, I did that for years. You know, I, integrative oncology was my specialty when I was in practice. I'm retired now from practice to do this stuff because I think I can reach more animals and help more animals by education now, you know, um, I'm getting too old for that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that would be the way that I would do that would be to um, to base it on a standardized beta glucan content, and then go from there. But I do have funding to do a cancer study, a multi-centered cancer study with some of my my friends, my colleagues who are integrative oncologists. I know there's a couple of them out there. There's about three or four, right? I think there's I think there's actually only four that I know of in the U.S. You probably know them too.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. So um, they're all you know they'd be all open to applying it to the appropriate you know cancer diagnosis and whether we would do a parallel with hemangiosarcoma. I don't know. It's it's that is a really nasty disease. It's a really tough disease. Maybe it's not the best place to get started with a study showing how good mushrooms work. But nonetheless, so yeah. So we're going to do a, a safety study on high doses of turkey tail to make sure that's safe, and then follow up with a clinical trial using turkey tail for a selected cancer type. Maybe hemangiosarcoma, and we would use that dosage of 20 to 30 mgs per kg of beta glucans as our study dosage. And then we would follow them and see if it improves their outcomes. Hopefully it would, you know.
2: Right. Okay. So, in terms of dosing, that's the dose. And then you could split it up if your dog likes to take it. Oh,
0: so yeah, to your question. Yeah. Yeah. So, if the pet doesn't like, the stuff, you know, if it's, and I'm trying, and I'm also working on making these product formats palatable so we can have some format that will work. We've got some soft chews and capsules. We've got some powders, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, if you want to divide it up into two or three times, that might be better for a pet who can't take a larger amount of something really bitter or quite a few capsules at a time. But it doesn't really matter as long as over that 24-hour period they get that content of beta-glucans because, as I mentioned, at least with the beta-glucans, you know, they get phagocytized by the immunocytes and then they get kicked out later. So it's not really like a, a pharmacokinetics type of a drug disposition that we're looking at with beta-glucans. With the other molecules we are, but right now this is the best I can
2: That makes a lot of sense. I love that you're starting with a safety study and then planning to dive into efficacy for specific cancers. So which mushrooms do you think are most beneficial for cancer should they be used one at a time or in blends? Are there ones that are more important than others? What are your thoughts around that?
0: I can show you studies with each mushroom species. Showing clinical trials for cancer that were beneficial, that were positive. Okay. Maybe we didn't cure them all, but we saw there was, you know, that the placebo group versus the treatment group were better. Okay. So, and any mushroom, you know, that's part of what my challenge has been, which is to try to give each mushroom a personality so that it makes it easier to, to figure out what a mushroom is. If you kind of know a little bit about who it is, maybe, ter- you know, I don't know if I'm going to turn it into a little walking, talking thing, but I'm, I'm just, when I say a personality, I'm just trying to bring out what are the most important things about that mushroom? What's one word or two words that we could use? Makes it easier for the consumer. I mean, certainly there's a lot of applications. We can't put them all and condense them all to one word.
2: I know it's really stressful sometimes for dog lovers that while we do have some studies out there on mushrooms, they're still pretty limited. So turkey tail, I know has been shown to be effective against hemangiosarcoma. Maitake has been shown to have some benefit for lymphoma. Would you generally say that, sure, those specific cancers were looked at in these specific studies, but that doesn't mean they're not useful in other types of cancer.
0: You're absolutely right. And it's only because they chose those cancers okay. because they were maybe common cancers. They're trying to, you know, oftentimes when these companies fund these studies, you know, it's not entirely altruistic. You know, they 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 believe their product works. They need to have some way of showing that it works if they're marketing it to a professional population like vets. Mm-hmm. So they've got to do that study. And then we can go to literature and look at what other studies have been done out there for humans right. or laboratory areas. Right. And we can get a wider range of what particular cancers are more likely to be addressed by which particular species of mushroom. I've put together some documentation for each individual mushroom, like we're calling them VET1 sheets with real mushrooms, in which I actually found that information from the literature about which mushrooms address which types of cancers from what we know so far from the literature. Okay. Turkey tail, for instance, which we know about being so good for cancer in terms of the PSP of the turkey tail mycelium that's grown in liquid culture, not on grain. So for instance, turkey tail has multiple different types of beta-glucans, not just one. It's got different variations on that, and it has multiple types of triterpenes, not just one, multiple variations. And historically, over hundreds of years, the turkey tail mushroom, the mushroom, not the mycelium, has been used by people to treat cancer. And in many cases, effectively, I mean, there's not mass hypnosis. If folk medicine has been suggesting the use of one given component, one given species of something, it probably works. You know, they wouldn't keep doing it.
2: You know, right.
0: it's you know, folk medicine is very practical, very pragmatic. So I would say, if there's one mushroom, if you want to use one mushroom and you want to use it for cancer, I would use the turkey tail mushroom. I think that's a good place to start but I could name three other mushrooms that I would use maybe in combination with it.
2: Can we talk a little bit about the very recent study on turkey tail that was looking to verify the earlier study mm-hmm. that was smaller? And they said, well, it needs more research. So they did this new UPenn study. So how do you look at those results?
0: It's very well done. It was my hat's off you know, to the researchers. They did it right. You know, the study was funded by the Chinese company that owns the patent on the PSP they'd like to see it become FDA approved drug and you know for people so they start with the vets and with the you know dog study as that's the place to begin. And in Asia they've had huge successes with the use of PSP, treating humans with cancer and being used concurrently with chemotherapy. So it was based on that that use that they decided to invest in the U in the Western system and trying to get it approved as a drug. The first the pilot study initially was just meant to be a dosage tier study and they had Groups of five dogs per cohort, and the highest dosage cohort surprised everybody by its survival time without chemotherapy being greater than the historical survivor time for patients who had received chemotherapy, who were splenectomized and had received chemotherapy. So they made larger groups. They made groups of 25 dogs each. They had one group that just got the PSP alone, they had one group that got chemotherapy and PSP, and they got one group, they got chemotherapy and a PSP placebo. Okay. So it was really well done in terms of controlling bias. And they all yes.
2: had the same diagnosis. They all had hemangiosarcoma, correct?
0: Yeah, but they were in different stages. Okay. I mean, it's really hard to recruit subjects for a study like that and then have them be completely uniform as far as the actual staging as well. I mean, that would take them years just to recruit those many. Right. Subjects. So some had more severe than others, and so they did get variation in response. But the the take home was that they were unable to tease out any statistically significant benefit to the PSP, whether being given alone or with chemotherapy. Now, numerically, there were some benefits. Seen in terms of the trends and the numbers, and depending on where you live and what your attitude is about how to how to look at statistics, you know that might not meet, Might you might say big deal, or you might say, well, can't hurt, especially if I've got a client who really wants to try everything they can. You know, they also found a very interesting sex-dependent outcome, which was that the male participants did substantially better. Than the female participants. And why, we don't know yet. But it was it turned out to be true. And if you look at the initial pilot study, you know, in that group that did so well, I think four of the five were males.
2: That's interesting.
0: And the 50 MIG group, I think were three were males. So it's very interesting. It you know, it's a bit it's a bit daunting, you know, a bit disappointing. You know, I would I would have liked to have known that it was effective. You know, and it may be a dosing thing. You know, it may be that the dose they used was not high enough. And personally, I personally think that you'll do better if you use the whole turkey tail mushroom as compared to one single isolate because there's so many active molecules in the turkey tail. I think that's really the way to go. The problem is is that with our society these days, the funding for these studies usually has to come from It's rare to get this kind of a study funded, you know, by the NIH for just, you know, just because they want to do the study. So it has to be funded by the companies. And so there's always some kind of inherent bias. But we're also always looking at patentable molecules. Right. Because why would the company do something if it didn't have a patent on it? Whereas I'm talking about using the open source, you know, public access mushroom itself, the whole mushroom. You know, now turkey cow grows globally. You know, it grows up in the forests everywhere. People, I'm not sure if it's in Hawaii. I think it probably is. But you know, people could actually collect it and have their own medicine. I mean, that's something that I kind of like. I mean, I think I think it's good for vets to be involved. But that's what I liked about cannabis was that people could grow their own plants, make their own medicines. People now are growing their own mushrooms. To, and they're like boring holes in trees and putting spawn into them. They have oyster mushrooms on logs. And, you know, if there's a lot of this cottage industry going on and psilocybin as well in terms of people being able to do it for themselves versus letting the commercial interest dictate what's available to us or not.
2: So the company that funded the study was looking only at their specific extract, which is not the whole mushroom, the whole turkey tail mushroom. They have the patent on that extract. We tried to get that. We we tried to get that, that extract, actually. Real mushrooms did, because the
0: founder of real mushrooms knows the person who holds the patent. But you know, they've got a good thing going, so that's right. But I do think that the whole mushroom has a better chance of working because we see that the anecdotal stories, the testimonials are remarkable about people with cancer and animals with cancer being given turkey tail that do better or it goes away, they go into remission. Mm-hmm. I want to show that objectively. That's why I'm trying to do the tur- That's why I'm choosing. I mean, I could choose turkey tail and chog in my talkie, that'd be a good. Three, maybe we'll do a proprietary cancer product so other companies can't copy us because there's always that issue when it comes to that stuff. But but still, I think it's a matter of dosage and just a matter of, of controlling it. So we'll see. We'll see. It's kind of exciting.
2: That's very interesting. Thank you for your thoughts. This is a good point to take a break, but we will be back shortly to talk about other mushrooms that can help dogs with cancer.
3: And now a message from your dog.
4: Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. It's a strange thing to do, sprinkle this powder on my food, but I wouldn't have it any other way. My time with you is precious and irreplaceable, and I'm thrilled to be with you for as long as possible. Here's to puppy playtime and senior snoozes. (laughs) No matter how old I get, I want my ever pup. It just makes me feel good in this life and the next, and the next, and the next. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the Everpup you give me.
3: So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup, every day. If your dog has cancer, which I've used with my own dog, Kanga, when she was diagnosed with cancer, is how to analyze the options and develop a specific plan for your own dog based on your dog's type of cancer and your dog's age, your financial budget, as well as your personality. You can get the Dog Cancer Survival Guide wherever books are sold, but if you get it direct from the publisher, you will save 10% when you use the offer code, especially for listeners of this podcast. Just go to dogcancerbook.com and when you check out, use the promo code podcast and you will save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com and use the promo code podcast to save 10%.
2: And we're back with Dr. Robert Silver. What is another mushroom that is beneficial for cancer?
0: Reishi is my favorite mushroom. I have, And you'll find when you talk to people that are mushroom advocates that oftentimes they have their own favorite mushroom. I like reishi. It's the mushroom of immortality. And it's one of the oldest histories. It was considered to be sacred. And when people would find huge, because you would get specimens that would be the size of a coffee table. Of reishi, and they would give it to the emperor because that would give them, you know, because it conveys long life on the emperor, which of course everybody wants the emperor to live forever, and that also benefits them. But reishi has some interesting properties in that it helps to reduce mast cell degranulation. It has antihistamine like properties, as well as having very potent beta glucans, and its triterpenes are the highest of any mushroom. It's so bitter that most people can't take it as a mushroom extract. You have to like mix it with chocolate or with espresso is probably the best ways of getting it into you. But some people I like that that bitter taste, but it's very it's very potent and it actually can help with sleep as well because it just the Zen masters would use it to prepare for for a Zen meditation. So it has that kind of settling, a grounding feeling to it. So other mushrooms are more than just medicine. There's also this aspect of this emotional aspect to them as well that is usually very positive and very beneficial.
2: I love it. I certainly have an emotional connection to espresso and chocolate myself. Of course. Those are not safe foods for dogs, so we would have to use different foods to make mushrooms less bitter for them. Oh, we'll have to find safer foods for them. Which mushrooms next?
0: There's some studies out of Japan with the maitake mushroom. They did a defraction, which is an, basically an extract of the beta-glucans, and they put that in a glyceride solution, and they've sold it as a pet fraction for pets. And they did an in vitro study with their maitake mushroom using the diffraction, which is not from the mycelium, but is from the mushroom itself. And they did it with three different types of canine cell lines. And they were able to get cytotoxicity with the lymphoma cells, and they were able to get growth reduction with the other two cell types. So they followed up with a clinical trial in dogs with lymphoma. But I don't think they really designed it right, because they chose dogs that might have only lived two more weeks. Ah. pretty much end stage. I used three drops of the defraction, which comes out to three megs per keg per day of the beta glucans. It took me a little while to reverse engineer that. So to me, that was also too low of a dosage. So the clinical trial failed. You know. <laughs> I would suspect if they did a better job of, you know, um, of choosing their their, their study. Um, animals, then I think they might have had some better results and maybe chose better metrics to to measure for that. But nonetheless, it's a study in a veterinary species. Yay, I'm happy, (laughs) you know, because there's so few of them, you know. And so we've got turkey tail and my and they both show some evidence of potency against cancer. They would be good choices, alone or together.
2: So that study, you feel, was flawed in two ways. They used dogs that were too far along or had too an aggressive disease that there wasn't enough time before they succumbed to the cancer for a mushroom to take effect. And also they gave too low a dose because you would have given 20 to 30 milligrams per kilogram per day.
0: Yeah. You know, and with a safe substance like that, I, sometimes, I think over. I would rather give much more okay. than much less, because I, especially if you've got a terminal disease, you don't want to make a mistake. You'd rather overdo it than underdo it.
2: For sure. At some point, you mentioned that mushrooms can also help with energy. Which one was that? Cordyceps It's a
0: very big role in generating ATP in the body and it has a big role with the lungs with the kidneys and so we see it used a lot for performance and
2: agility so ATP it, is the energy it's an energy molecule or energy it's an energy molecule okay. exactly I'm sorry um, yeah so that when the body
0: creates energy it goes through a cycle called the Krebs cycle which takes oxygen and glucose and turns it into energy in the form of these fossilus fake molecules called ATP. So cordyceps has some molecules in there that kind of push that along a little better, you know. So you get more energy without being hyper. In fact, cordyceps also has a, be- a benefit on the on the mind to kind of settle it, and you know it doesn't sedate; it just kind of produces clarity. So it's, it's the more I'm learning about these mushrooms, the the more I realize there is to learn about. Them.
2: So what is cordyceps? How do you characterize it? Sounds like it's got a lot going on.
0: Horticeps is a very interesting mushroom because it grows inside a caterpillar. (laughs) So and inside an insect, there's a whole phylum of mushrooms that grow inside insects, grow inside ants. And in fact, the mushrooms, when they infect an ant, they somehow change the behavior of the ant. So they crawl all the way to the top of the leaf where they then can get ingested and disseminated even further. I mean, how mycelium could have that kind of intelligence, because that's what's growing inside the mushroom at that time, the spore grows from the mycelium, and then as the mycelium's growing in the caterpillar or the ant, it it actually affects its behavior, then it dies. And as it dies, the mycelium then gets to that point that it sends up the mushroom, which in this case just looks like a little lance thing. But in the wild, it grows on the Nepalese plateau and in Bhutan as well. And it's reputed, in addition to having benefits for energy, it's also reputed to have some aphrodisiacal properties, if I could just say that. And so it's very much in demand. So a kilo of this will run about $15,000. Oh my goodness. And the indigenous people there that know that there's this good market, they actually crawl along the ground to try to find these little, these little things coming up from the caterpillars so they can harvest it and then they take it to the market and they make some money from it. Now we're able to cultivate that's a very similar species to the one that grows in the caterpillars on rice flour. So we're not really eating caterpillars when you're eating that stuff, um, although some people do.
2: So you're using rice flour instead of caterpillars for the cordyceps. Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, I I think there's probably more to it than that, but it's basically some form of grain.
2: Well, that's a huge relief because at this point, I'm not sure how I feel about my dog eating caterpillars. What's another mushroom that can help our dogs?
0: Lion's mane. You know, lion's mane. If I had, let's say, a, a brain tumor you know because lion's mane has a lot of diterpenes and triterpenes that are specific for stimulating brain derived nerve growth factor so it actually can help with trauma to the brain or nerve damage but it also has a, another kind of a calming effect and have you know, a lot of testimonials from people with dementia with memory problems with things like that it's no wonder it's the most popular mushroom in America today is the lion's mane it's remarkable in those regards, also good for gastritis, good for digestive issues. So I mean, they're like, they really are a little, each one's their own little Swiss Army knife, their own (laughs) little polypharmacy, you know, that, that has so many amazing applications. And that's why in order to promote their use, in a way, you almost need to label them by what their most salient property might be. You know, with minds mainly use cognition or, or neurosupport, something like that. Although it could be good for digestive support. It could be good for cancer.
2: I love it. So what's next? Chaga,
0: if I could talk about that just a little bit. This is interesting. Sure. Chaga is not a mushroom. Chaga is actually mycelium grown on wood. And if you've ever seen a chaga canker, it's on birch trees and it looks like a big cancer on the birch tree.
2: Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't know if you've ever discussed
0: the doctrine of signatures on this program, but the doctrine of signatures is a concept in herbal medicine, goes back millennia, which is that if a plant looks like an organ or something that you want to treat, it probably treats that. So you know if a plant looks like a brain, you might use it to treat a brain chaga looks like a cancer on the tree and its primary use is to treat cancer alexander solzhenitsyn in his um, nobel prize winning book cancer ward got cancer while he was in the gulag and then his book cancer ward is a description of this use of the chaga can- chaga to cure himself there in the Soviet prison system. I'm sure it's very pleasant. Because
2: he had access to it. It was like growing on the... Well, because
0: it grows along northern latitudes all throughout Siberia where the gulags are, all across Finland, Alaska, northern Canada. It's up there in that northern latitudes that you find them. And what's interesting is that this mycelium grows into the birch tree and the birch has molecules in it called betulinic acid that the mushroom then takes on. Turns out the betulinic acid... Is a potent anti neoplastic and it has potent anti inflammatory content as well. Mistletoe, you've probably discussed mistletoe. Mistletoe takes on the betulinic acid as well. So it's a common active principle found in many plants and fungi that associate with birch trees.
2: Interesting. So
0: chalk is fascinating.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that is crazy. So we've talked about using medicinal mushrooms when your dog has been diagnosed with cancer, but what about a wellness supplement? Is there a particular mushroom or even a blend you would recommend kind of as a preventative measure? I know we can't prevent cancer entirely, but certainly we can mitigate risk. Is there anything you would use for that purpose?
0: I think the accepted approach these days For a wellness type of a compound that uses mushrooms, would be to use a multi mushroom formula that would have a little bit of each in it. And that's what we see out there in the marketplace. Real Mushrooms has one that uses five mushrooms in it. They call it Five Defenders. And you'll see other companies will have similar products with multiple mushrooms in them. We think five is about the top end of mushrooms because you And the more you have in there, the less each one has a fraction of it, although you have to then dose it even higher and higher to get a therapeutic amount. Of each one. So we have um, turkey tail in this and chaga, both of which are known to be very good for cancer. But we also have the mitaki in there, like we did with that lim- I mentioned the lymphoma study. And we've got shiitake. We haven't talked about shiitake medicinally, only edibly. When you start drooling, it's so good. But shiitake is one of the most studied, it's studied more than ginseng is, actually, in terms of the, the, the world literature. And it's got remarkable properties, so in addition to being very tasty. And then we've got reishi. And cordyceps, I always get confused. Maitake, shiitake, chaga, turkey tail, reishi, I'm just to start.
2: Those are their five, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. So that's so, that's a good shotgun approach to use for daily wellness.
2: Well, that makes sense. Dr. Silver, thank you so much for this fabulous journey through the world of medicinal mushrooms. I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners have too. I'd also like to thank you, listener. If you haven't already, go back in your podcast app or on dogcanceranswers.com and listen to part one of our conversation with Dr. Robert Silver, which covered more general information about medicinal mushrooms and how they can help our dogs. To learn about more integrative treatment options for cancer, visit dogcancer.com and browse all of the articles and links we have there. I'm Molly Jacobson, and from all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I want to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer
1: Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcanceranswers.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200.